Hey guys, welcome back and thank you so much for joining me on Redemption, Memoirs from the Woman at the Well. I'm your host, Tierney Krasowski. For those of you that have been following along on this journey, you know that the past several weeks, I've really been diving into some of the the darkest and and most hardest parts of my life experiences. And I just want to state that I'm not sharing these stories out of a need of sympathy or for a pat on the back. I'm sharing these stories to create a connection with individuals who have experienced the same kind of traumas that I have. Um, and, and for us to not only create that connection in that community, but to also help the, these, these people understand that they don't have to stay stuck in these environments. They don't have to stay stuck there physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, or even in their health. And they don't have to create um, an identification through this trauma. Um, I will not ever say that trauma does not change who we are because it does, but it does not have to be the center of your identity or the thing that, that marks your life the most. Uh, this past week, I was talking to a really good friend of mine and we began talking about my podcast and all the whys and the reasons that we were sharing, um, you know, these stories. And one of the things that she and I realized is that Um, We both carried around this fear about telling our stories and she's done it the entirety of her life where she was too scared to really talk about her story and to tell her story out of fear of the negative repercussions that could potentially happen to her siblings or her mom. And she felt like if she shared her story, it would hurt them in some way. And I realized I had the same fear um, that if I told my story, it would hurt my children. It would create a negative impact in their life somehow. Um, it, it would create a rift between us, you know, something. And I also felt like if I rocked the boat or said anything, it would create issues within my own family. But I also realized when I began this project that when you don't tell your story and when you continuously keep it in hiding, That's how generational curses and generational cycles begin. And that's how it happens is that we get comfortable with just sweeping things under the rug instead of having honest engagement about what is truly happening. So my goal with this is to help people realize that they don't have to stay stuck. Um, And, you know, when I experienced a lot of the trauma and a lot of the things that I had, you know, in the last episode, I discussed my attack. And when that happened, I really sought out alcohol and sexual relationships to deal with the trauma. And those were my coping mechanisms and they weren't healthy. That wasn't healthy in any way, shape or form. And, um, you know, all of that really came to a head in about in 2010, And so 2010 was an incredibly difficult year, not only for my family, um, but for a very close friend of mine. And I'll never forget the date, uh, May 15th, we were driving up to Albuquerque, a close friend of mine and, and, uh, and our group of friends, there was about five or six of us driving up to Albuquerque to go spend the weekend with another mutual friend. And on the drive up, I get a phone call from my ex-husband telling me that my son is complaining of stomach pains and has this knot in his stomach. And of course, you know, I'm worried about it, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to come home. We're, we're going to go ahead and, and head to Albuquerque because it's not emergent. And 
not 10 minutes later, my friend that's driving gets a phone call and we find out that his wife had passed away. So of course, at that point we do turn around, we head back, um, on the drive back, we don't really talk a lot and we just, I just hold his hand and he just cries. And, um, you know, I get home, we deal with my son, we get a surgery date set for him. We find out he has an umbilical hernia. Um, no big deal. It's not life threatening. We just need to make sure that he gets taken care of. So a couple of days before his surgery is scheduled, um, I'm at work and I get a call from my sister and she says, Hey, I need you to come get your son. He has a fever of about 105 and he's complaining that his stomach is hurting. I rush home. I take him to the hospital. It's about five o'clock that evening. They run all these tests, run all these scans, and we get home about three o'clock the next morning with no answers. And at six o'clock, I receive a call from his surgeon and he calls me and tells me, hey, they read his scans wrong. You need to bring him back in. His appendix ruptured and we need to get him on antibiotics right away. So I get him up, you know, call his dad, let him know what's happening. We rush to the hospital. They put him on the antibiotics. So we're sitting there. They decide that they are going to do um, both surgeries in one. They're going to go ahead and, and get his ruptured appendix out and get that area cleaned out. And they're going to fix his hernia as well. And so the surgeon tells us the surgery should not take more than two hours It's pretty quick. He'll stay the night and he'll go home tomorrow. Great. So my ex-husband and I are sitting in the waiting room and two hours come and go. Three hours come and go. Four hours come and go. And about five hours later, somebody comes out and tells us we can't wake him up. Well, (laughs) those words hit me like a sledgehammer in the chest. And even now, thinking about the, that, that time period kind of shakes me up a little bit. And um, we asked for clarification and they told us that they were having a very hard time waking him up. Well, at this point, my mom is there. My ex-husband's parents are there. Um, I think his brother or, and sister-in-law were there. I don't remember everybody was who was there, but there was a group of us there and we began to pray. And... A couple of hours go by before they come in and tell us, okay, he's awake, he's stable, um, he's he's pretty disoriented, you know, whatever. So we go back with our son and uh, only my ex-husband and I can go back. They're not allowing anybody else back there with him because at that point he's in ICU. And while we're there, he ends up coding two times. So his heart stops twice while we're there. And for any parent, parents who have ever experienced a group of people rushing in when a code blue has been called on their child and seeing them uh, resuscitate your child and at one point shoving you out of the room, <laughs> that by itself is an extremely traumatic experience. And we have recognized that at this point in my life, I'm an absolute mess. I am a total mess. So I didn't know how to cope with um, trauma at all. And this created so much stress and fear in me. And so what was supposed to be an in and out procedure, he ended up spending almost a week in the hospital and then he comes home. 
And now he, you know, he's super strong and healthy and has no issues. But because of that, it created this fear in me. And I became, I mean, I was, I was already a mess and I was already extremely disrespectful to my mom and the kids and I were living with my mom at that time. And it just seemed like from June till, um, about October, um, my mom and I were constantly at each other and I thought my mom was a jerk. I thought that she was constantly just, you know, nitpicking at everything and being annoying and obnoxious when in reality I was just being rebellious and disrespectful and had no respect for my mom's home, no respect for her rules, uh, just no respect period. I didn't respect myself and I certainly didn't respect my mom. And so she asked me to move out. And so the kids and I moved in with my friend whose wife had passed away in May and it wasn't a romantic relationship. Uh, the kids and I stayed in one room and he had his bedroom and it definitely was not a healthy environment though. And not a situation that my kids should have been put in, but they were, and that it, it, it just is what it is. Um, and so from, so we were there in October. Well, at the beginning of November, and I'll never forget the date because it was my mom's birthday. It was November 10th. I woke up that morning with this pain in my legs. And at first it just felt like when you need to eat bananas, like you don't have enough potassium and you just get that pain in your legs. That's how it started. By the end of the day, I was in excruciating pain. And all of that night I was taking ibuprofen and Tylenol and all of these things, whatever I could find to try to alleviate the pain. And the next morning I wake up and I'm in so much pain. I call into work. I go to the hospital. They run all these tests and the doctor comes in and he tells me, you are in acute renal failure. And I asked him what that means. And he said, your kidneys are shutting down and they're in failure. And he sent me home and no medication, nothing. And so I am in excruciating pain at this point. And I try to sleep that night. I can't sleep. Um, the pain had moved up from my legs up into my back and in my stomach. And when I say I was, this was the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. I just want to clarify. I have had three children naturally, um, with no epidural and this pain from my kidney failure was worse than, than having children. I would rather give birth. So anyway, the next morning I call my sister and I'm like, I need you to take me to the doctor. She drives me to my primary care physician. And for those of you that don't know me well, or don't know me at all, um, I am very big on presentation, the way we represent ourselves, the way we carry ourselves. And I'm one of those people that, um, I believe that when you step outside of your home, you are not only representing yourself, you're representing the people within your home, your family members, you represent your church, you represent, uh, wherever you work, you represent whatever you're involved in within the community. So I have this, this, you know, idea about the way we carry ourselves. And so we get to the doctor's office and I'm laying down in the chairs. And my sister told me that that's when she knew that I was in extreme pain because of the way that I carry myself in public. And so I get in and I see my doctor and you know, he already was explained to what was going on. So he's looking at the lab reports 
uh, from when I was at the hospital the day before. And he said, you should have been admitted to the hospital. So he has me admitted to the hospital immediately. Doesn't run any tests, just sends me right over to the hospital. I'm admitted immediately because I'm in kidney failure. My body is so dehydrated. They can't find any veins. They do a central line. For those of you that don't know what a central line is, is it's when they take, um, the, the needle and the IV and they put it through a vein in your neck, your jugular vein. And so, um, and it's not just as simple as getting an IV in your arm where they put the IV in and then they can start injecting the medication. No, they put the IV in your neck. And then when they do that, they have to do an x-ray to make sure that, um, it has not punctured your lungs and that everything is okay. So going through this whole process, finally, I get the medication knocks me out. And I, it was the first time I had any relief in a couple of days. And I ended up spending 23 days in the hospital and the first week that I'm there, they're telling my family that they need to prepare to let me go, that I was not going to make it. And my mom, I, I, this is the time in my life that I have seen my mom fight the hardest for me, that I've physically witnessed it. I can't say that I know all of the other times that my mom has fought for me, but I can say that in this moment of my life, I have never seen my mom fight harder for me. Um, the first week I was sedated heavily and I don't really remember much of that time. However, I do remember, um, my mom constantly whispering in my ear, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. Anytime anybody would come into my room and talk about, you know, me dying or what was going on, my mom would rebuke it. She would not allow that to be spoken over me. Um, she fought with the docs, doctors constantly. She fought for my care. She made sure that I was okay constantly. Um, when I got out of the hospital, Um, my kidneys would not function without, um, a high amount of steroids, which is dangerous for your body. And so eventually I ended up having to go into, um, to take eight weeks of chemotherapy to kill off my immune system, to completely start over. Um, so for several months, you know, I was just battling with this sickness and I remember my pastor came in when I was in the hospital to come talk to me and Um, you know, I had been, while I was in the hospital, I ended up getting diagnosed with um, lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. And um, my pastor came in and he said, you know, this stems from unforgiveness. This stems from, you know, you not forgiving. And (laughs) you want to talk about somebody being so angry and so annoyed and so furious with somebody in that moment, I was so mad at him and I could not believe that he had the audacity to come and tell me as I'm laying on my dying bed, um, that I'm just, I'm sick because I'm not forgiving people and because I'm holding on to all of this stuff. And, you know, in my, in my rebellious, uh, rebelliousness all I, I I sat on that and then I became angry with him and walked in this unforgiveness towards him but when I got out of the hospital um, I would love to say that all of my behaviors immediately changed they didn't but something changed in me to where I started recognizing something and when the pastor told me that I was sitting all on all of this unforgiveness, 
it really started to resonate with me. Um, and I began doing all of this research. And so now we're sitting in 2011 and I'm starting to, to do this research and I'm starting to, um, try to understand, you know, this sickness that I was diagnosed with and this disease and this illness that I'm diagnosed with. And, um, I started embracing it as my identity. I started saying, oh, well, I have lupus. I have this, I have this, I have this. And it became my identity and it became the way I lived my life. And that became just as unhealthy as me pretending like nothing had ever happened to me. So now I'm sitting with all of this trauma that I haven't dealt with. And I'm sitting with the identity of this illness and taking on this identity. And my body just stays sick. I literally just stayed sick. And um, so, <laughs> so I'm wrestling with this, you know, this identity of being sick and this identity of being a victim and feeling like the whole weight of the world is just on top of me. And I don't know what to do until I simply cried out to God. And I said, God, I need you. I need you in this moment more than I've ever needed you in my life. Um, I don't want to be sick. The medication that I was on for the lupus diagnosis was awful and made me feel worse than it than um, than I feel like it helped. It uh, made my body swell up. I had all of this retention of water and swelling, and it was it made me uncomfortable. My joints always hurt, and it it didn't help. And I just cried out. I'm like, God, I need your help. I need you in this moment. I need some guidance. And the thing that kept popping up was forgiveness. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. And I've had so many people tell me over the years, I don't know how you could forgive. I would never forgive. I would never. If it were me, I wouldn't. Blah, 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 blah. And I hear that all the time. And I still hear that from people. I don't know how you can forgive them. I don't know how you can, um, you know, let that go. But the thing that I began to understand about the forgiveness aspect was that it literally wasn't for anybody else. It was for me, my anger, my hurt, my holding on to all of this stuff was absolutely impacting and affecting my health. And so I said, God, how do I forgive these people? How do I forgive this man for attacking me? How do I forgive, um, the man who raised me? How do I forgive, um, the man who assaulted me as a child? How do I forgive people who were abusive to me throughout my childhood? How do I, how do I forgive? How do I forgive? And it just came to me that all I had to do was say, I, uh, you know, Lord, I choose to forgive them. I choose to walk in forgiveness. I choose to walk in love. Um, I ask that you help me to forgiveness, forgive, forgive them. I know that forgiveness is a choice and I ask that you bless their lives. And it was as simple as that. Every time they came up to my mind, every time anything happened, anytime I thought about them, I realized I had a choice. I had a choice to sit on all of the pain, all of the hurt, or I could simply say, I choose to forgive. 
Now, it is literally as simple simple and as difficult as that. So anybody who's ever had to go through the process of forgiveness understands that it is that. It's a process. It's not simple to just let these things go. It's not just like a click in the head and you're like, oh, okay, great. I'm fine. I forgive him now and everything's done. That That's not it. That's not realistic. But it does begin with a choice of you saying, I am either going to forgive or I'm going to allow this to have control over me. I didn't want these things to have control over me for a while, for the rest of my life. And honestly, it took me a while to understand and to process through forgiveness. Um, and I can talk about these situations now and I can talk about these people without anger, without hurt, um, without animosity, because I have a clear understanding of not only what I've been forgiven for, um, but the fact that Christ didn't just die for me and he didn't give his life just for me, but he gave his life for these people as well. And he gave his life um, for literally everybody. And for anybody who chooses to to have a relationship with Christ, he accepts them and it doesn't matter, um, it doesn't matter what their sins are. And so when I realized that I was forgiven for all of the things that I was forgiven for, I had an understanding of how I was able to forgive and how I should forgive. It didn't mean that what these people did were okay. It didn't mean that me being sick didn't happen. It meant that all of the stuff that happened to me was finally having a physical toll on my body because I was not addressing it. I wasn't responding in the way that I should be responding. And I was literally having a physical episode of that. Um, You know, I'd like to say that, yep, in that moment, I completely forgave everybody and moved on. But I didn't. I had to process through it. And, um, you know, I went into to kidney failure again about a year later, not as extensively, but it was during my pregnancy with my son. And it was all brought to the surface again of, hey, we'd really need to work on this forgiveness. We need to work on letting things go. And it, I mean, it was a process that took me years, years. But when I learned to forgive, that opened up the door in my life for other areas to begin the process of healing. It allowed me to move in the direction in which the Holy Spirit was guiding me and showing me. Um, But it was a difficult process. So the point of all of this is that when you experience trauma, when you experience hurt, when you experience pain, when you experience all of this stuff and you don't deal with it, there will actually be a physical manifestation. And if you take the Christianity aspect out of it, um, scientifically, it has been shown, it's been shown that when you have stress in your body, if you've ever gotten a massage and your massage therapist is like, oh, you know, you carry your stress in your neck or you carry your stress in your hips, your body physically starts to create these knots of stress. So our bodies will have a physical reaction. So if you get stressed like that, just from work, imagine the kind of impact, or if you get a physical reaction, like knots and things like that from work or life stresses, imagine the physical manifestation that occurs when you carry trauma like that and you carry pain and anger and hurt. Um, and you don't deal with that correctly. So, uh, so the process that that I was taken through was a process of forgiveness first, 
And I had to learn how to forgive in order to begin the healing process. And now, um, let's see, 13 years later, I've only had one issue with a flare up and it was during my pregnancy with my son. And I was not through the process of forgiveness at all. I had not worked and walked out that process, but I'd only had one instance of a flare up and I don't have any issues now. I don't have flare ups. I don't take medication. Um, I, I don't have issues with my kidneys. Anytime I've gotten them tested, everything is at, it it functions, uh, the functionality of my kidneys and my liver, um, is, is perfect. It's how it should be. And so my goal is for women to understand that if these are things that have happened to you and you're beginning to have physical manifestations, you need to start taking steps in order, um, in order to, walk in forgiveness in order to move all of those, uh, all of those issues out of your life and to process through those, uh, through those things. So as always, if you have experienced any kind of trauma or hurt or sexual assault or physical abuse, seek out therapy. Um, you know, I would always, I will always recommend, um, Christian counseling. I'm not saying go to the church for counseling. I'm just saying, uh, get counseling through, um, through people who are, are strong Christians and who have the same faith system as you. Um, and if that's, if that's not your thing, then, then get therapy, get, get counseling from people who can help you and help you process through it. Because I promise you, you don't want the physical manifestations, um, that come from holding those things in. So as always, I thank you so much for listening and I appreciate your time and I hope that you have an absolutely wonderful day.